What's going on? Welcome to the People's Show. Vic Nazar, Israel Fair with you today, coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your fit, your perfect fit, at Kintech.net. Be part of the show as always, 650-650, whatever you want to talk about, sports or apparently video games, in the inbox right now. It is nonstop coming into the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver. Online at DunbarLumber.com. People Show brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online. D-L-E-A-M-C dot com. Victor. Eddie, running the show today, and of course, uh, you the people, hanging out with uh, Bick Nazar, Israel Fair. What's going on, man? Good to be here. I knew All something week. was up uh, on the, the prior show uh, when I heard the James Bond theme. Yeah, <laughs> down the, the prep hall. Room. Yeah. Just the pause menu music. It's, it's going off in the inbox. Uh, the funny bit, too, is when you're not doing the show and you just like keep an eye on the inbox. Yeah. Oh. Goldeneye talk going on right now. People love it. They can't get enough. That song, though, does hit different. Oh, I'm fired up. Yeah. Ready to go. Of course, you know me with the Goldeneye, too. It's right in your wheelhouse. <laughs> Brosnan, a.k.a. my guy, in quotations, <laughs> as Izzy would like to say. Uh, we don't need to have rehash change Bond takes today, though. A lot no, to get into. We can save that for later in the week. Yeah. A lot to get into. Uh, Donovan Bennett will join us from Sportsnet. A new show coming up here on the Sportsnet Radio Network with him and Matt Marchese. Fan Checkdown. Look at the NFL Daily uh, starting on Monday. Across the Sportsnet Radio Network during the NFL season. So we'll talk to Donovan uh, about that. Get ready for the NFL season as well. Uh, Corey Prodman will join us as we talked yesterday. The series over at The Athletic where uh, Izzy's always hard at work. Not this week. Not this week. Senior editor over at The Athletic. Oh, as my phone goes off, sorry. Oh. <laughs> series all over the place. Um, we talked yesterday about the Prospect Pipeline series that's debuted. It's one of the marquee things we always talk about uh, every year when it comes to the NHL. And Canucks weren't on it yesterday. They unveiled the first eight teams. Canucks were on it today, the first team to be uh, unveiled today. So they finish in 24th in uh, Corey Pronman's Prospect Pipeline. We'll talk to Corey about it in the second hour, what growth there can be. And, and, and let's start there. So they come in at 24th, uh, which is not exactly a thing to write home about, but notoriously they have been uh, much lower, uh, the Vancouver Canucks. But 24 in a group with um, Florida, who finished 23rd, Washington, 22, Calgary, L.A., Winnipeg, and rounding out, uh, or St. Louis, and then rounding out today's grouping was Dallas as we work our way towards number one. Not a great showing, but I look at this right now, and yeah, there's elements of progress here. The way Corey ranked it out, and we'll talk to him again at 2 o'clock, the, the, the latest signing, Tom Willander, sits at number one. Atu Ratu uh, comes in at number two. 
how much does the progress of what the Vancouver Canucks can become? Because there's the short-term element. Obviously, Patterson, you hope, was going to be here for a while. Quinn Hughes signed for a few years. So the, the, the short-term viability of what progress can look like is established because of some stars you already have. But you want that next wave to always come up behind you. Atu Ratu, the only center in the mix. That's the thing, right? The, the, the depth down the middle just is not really there. You can make these short-term signings with the Teddy Bluger, Pew Suter, but the, the next wave of talent down the middle, not really there. How much relies on the growth this player can show? A lot. Yeah. And it's the, the positional value is obviously huge. And like you look at these these rankings in particular are interesting because Corey extends it out pretty far. Like Quinn Hughes was on the list last year because it's age, not experience. Mm-hmm. So two years ago, Elias Patterson was still on the list. I mean, like, Quinn Hughes is still only 23. Yeah. It's hard to believe. It feels like he's been on the team forever at this point. But now we're, at least when it comes to this ranking, we're out of that era. And it's the most recent first-round pick at number one. And then at number two, Atu Ratu, the centerpiece mm-hmm. of the, the Bo Horvat trade. And there is going to be a lot of emphasis there because it's understood that, you know, Sure, maybe Tom Willander is a, is a top four mm-hmm. guy, and that, that would be very good for the Canucks long term. But when it comes to the forwards and specifically centers, there's not an expectation that Aturatu is going to be a 1C. Mm-hmm. But now you start getting into the conversation, okay, well, is he realistically a 2C? Or is you know is that the ceiling? Is the floor a 3C? And also... How fast is that going to come, right? Like, when can you expect that player to be a standout and a consistent presence in your lineup? A great outcome for the Canucks is Ratu becomes a 2C. You push Miller to a wing at a certain age where his game is going to gravitate towards the wing anyways. He can obviously play it. Sure, the speed might not be there in year four, five, six of the deal, or five, six, seven, however you want to look at it. But he's got the elements where he can clearly play a power style game from the wing he's obviously familiar with with doing it uh for for long stretches of his nhl career that's the great outcome now the thing with prospect talk too and 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 with draft pick talk it's a regenerating currency too right draft picks you're always going to get some more it's how you utilize them do you acquire more do you spend them on current pro level capital whatever it is so you are going to get more, and there's a situation that could develop where, hey, the Canucks could find themselves with another top 10 pick, draft a center, and it throws Ratu down this hierarchy of what their prospects are. That's a, a fine outcome, too. Obviously, it comes with problems, though, that you're not having success at the pro level. But from the prospect point of view, yes, it can slide Ratu down where the pressure is not on him to become a second-line center. I still look at this, though, from the point of view of you know, the main thing that I, I worry about for him is just the skating because there's so many other things. Like, he he's already kind of potted some goals in his very limited time mm-hmm. uh, playing in the NHL. So, like, the goal-scoring ability, I again, it, it's, it's two goals. I, I'm a little less concerned about that. But he does look like such an intelligent player of where to go about the ice. He's obviously got some size, can make some passes. It's just it's going to come down to the skating, and I feel like if he gets that part right, a lot flips really quickly of what he can actually can accomplish at the NHL level. And then you can get into the conversation of uh, you know, 
fits with him and how can you mitigate that that sure. weakness the, the the skating part of it because it is on the list here uh Pronman has four traits four skills mm-hmm. skating puck skills hockey sense and compete he's got Atu Ratu is NHL average and compete hockey sense and puck skills, and he's got him as a below average NHLer at skating, which in the league today is it's it's like the fundamental tough. requirement. Like, for instance, just in this market, like Brock Besser for skating wise, sure. That to me is like you have to reach that baseline. I'm not thrilled with it, but you have to at least reach that. And if you are then. High IQ, smart with the puck, don't turn it over very much, can protect it. You can get away with not being the most fleet of foot. And it's not just straight line speed. We're talking about change of direction, um, balance, all that sort of stuff matters as far as your skating uh, prowess. But because we're, we're still waiting to see that at the NHL level for Ratu, it, the, the glimpses that we did see in – Three games, obviously, in Vancouver. If you managed to watch a couple of games uh, where he was playing in the island. That's the part where it looks like it it, it, it is a step behind. Is the natural power going to be there for him to get to a stage where all these other benefits? And I, I think, you know, Corey's been a bit harsh with the, with the puck skills and the hockey sense and the compete. But I can understand how it looks a bit divorced from reality when you see a guy who isn't keeping up with the play as frequently as you would like to see. Yeah, I mean, it just... If that's the starting point is yeah. the skating and you acknowledge that it's below average, it just makes it easier to downgrade the other stuff. Yes. It, you have to be really special at the other stuff to get the benefit of the doubt. And I mean, I look at another player on this list, a guy who's got a lot more NHL experience, Vasily Podkolzin. Mm-hmm. In the traits, he's also listed as below NHL average, but with average puck skills, hockey sense, and above average compete, which I think checks out based yeah. on what we've seen. Uh, it's just, you, you read the, you know, we'll talk to Corey about this, but you read the, the analysis here at the bottom of, uh, the pod Colson blurb. And it's just, he, he writes the issue in his games come, comes down to his pace and skating, whether the offensive touch is special enough. And that's, that's been the big question because yeah. we've gone into a couple of seasons now thinking, okay, Vasily pod Colson, is he going into this season as someone that the team can rely on as a middle six contributor? And there have been flashes, and he certainly, he certainly doesn't look like he's not an NHLer. Mm-hmm. But it, that consistency has been lacking. To what level are you effective? And it? what? And when you're a team in the Canucks position, especially the Canucks position at the start of last season, where they had to immediately they were behind the eight ball right from the start. They have to scratch and claw their way back to. I'm going to use the word respectability. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really quite that. I think there's still people out there with <laughs> disrespect. Totally. But at least from their view in their room to put themselves back into some sort of competitive sphere. And then you just don't have the benefit of, oh, well, let, you know, Pud Colson does bring some of this stuff to the table. You don't have, it's not an environment for that player uh, to wheel in, in that space, which is why he ends up getting sent down. And, you, and then here we are again in another season where, you know, the talk hasn't ramped up yet, as it will, as we pass Labor Day and get closer to training camp, as to what he is. And that's a winger. With Ratu, we're talking about a center. And we know now the positional responsibility, the pressure that comes with playing in that spot. We've been having the conversation about JT Miller, who is a 
longtime NHL player yeah. at this point, and with the differences between playing on the wing and playing down the middle. Uh, just to give you an idea of what the rankings were like uh, for Corey uh, in this athletic piece or the prospect pipeline where the Vancouver Canucks finished 24th, um, Willanders headlines a list, Ratu, LaCaramacki, Podkolzin, Silovs, uh, Bruce DeWitz, Hoaglander, and Klimovich were your marquee eight. Also, you know, Josh Bloom's feature, Cole McWard, Leas Pedersen, the D-man, and uh, Jacob Truscott rounding out this list. The list for me is defined by three players. One, Raw, two, two, we kind of mentioned put Coles in, and three, Niels Hoaglander, who ends up on this list and ends up at number seven mm-hmm. on this group. And I got to admit, like, I, I don't necessarily think that's wrong. Like, I know I've been a little bit lower on Niels Hoaglander relative to some of the excitement in the market because there's underlying numbers that indicate, hey, he's got every ability to have the production as far as underlying numbers look a certain way. And it's the type of profile you want to see in a player. But there are just certain raw natural abilities that, to me, don't exist consistently for Nils Hoaglander. Why that NHL games played have been so spotty for him to get the opportunities to, to showcase. I get the, the argument for, hey, this profile of player does pop at some point. I just don't see the the indicators that would show you for, from a physical component that those things are going to happen. And we're talking about two 22-year-olds now and a 20-year-old mm-hmm. between Hoaglander, Put Colson, and Ratu is the 20-year-old. They're the group that's going to try to push this forward to offer some stability of this prospect to production to pros and what it means for the team. In that middle six range, again, we're not yeah. talking about you have to come and be a first-line player. They, they obviously, like, the team needs more headline players. Yes. That's obvious. But, like, members of this group also have to succeed. Mm-hmm. And it's really, if you're looking for top-end players of the best version of them, like, to me, Willander could be a top-pairing D in his own style. LeCaramacki, in his best version, could be a goal-scoring winger. Because at least he's got something that you look as a translatable skill. The, the the shot looks like it could completely fit in the NHL. Nils Hoaglander's shot doesn't look like it fits in the NHL at an elite level. His skating is nice. It's not great. Tries hard. Tries hard, but it goes back to the, the thing that we were just talking about with Atu Ratu. Secure skating doesn't match up. That's a little bit of a concern, too. He's not a burner. Works hard, but at some point, the overall production to fit in a top six role needs to be there. And I just feel like he's going to get squeezed year after year after year into a spot where it's like you don't fit in the top six and you're not exactly what we're looking for in the bottom six. Yeah, I'll make a cross-sport comparison and it's not exactly apples to apples because it's in hockey you are often relying on your line mates and your mm-hmm. environment. But there, there are often pitchers that get an opportunity in the big leagues and they've got the fastball and they've got the breaking ball and they look like they should be reliable starting pitchers. But then you get a sample size, and the numbers are not there. And you start, evaluators start sort of scratching their heads. Well, this guy has the things that a player is supposed to have. We know that Niels Hoaglander is a decent skater. We know that the puck skills are there. We know that he will be competitive for the most part. And so then it comes down to that hockey sense thing, that IQ. And for these pitchers in question, sometimes the numbers just don't add up. And I know that there are some underlying stats yeah. that support that a Hoaglander can be a difference maker. 
But I'm closer to you in the sense that I see the package. I, 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 can, I can be convinced that there is a player there, but to what level is that player? And is it, is it going to fit within the greater package of the team? You know, this is the type of guy because he's got those skills that they're attractive. Mm -hmm. When he's on his game, we've seen it. It was, you know, more toward the early part of his career where he could be in his way, the most dominant player in in a certain period, but you're catering so much to that. And if you don't have the goal scoring, to put yourself over the edge. At, at what point does your faith just stop that we can't create an environment that is Absolutely. designed for you? And when you're, you know, the, the Pronman's conclusion here is that he sees Hoaglander ultimately. And, and Corey is known for favoring bigger bodies and more physical players. So there's probably a little bit like that. That's, that's where his evaluation generally lies. But he, he ultimately concludes here that he sees Hoaglander as a bottom six winger. Now, if that's on a third line in a role that makes sense and you've got the right pieces and your team is playing a certain style, fantastic. But the issue that we've seen with him, with Hoaglander and with Pod Colson is, well, that's been sliding to the fourth line. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, your team's out of whack and those guys are in the AHL. Those pictures that you mentioned, I just want to kind of harp on that for a second. Like, what is the thing that stands out when when you're looking at those guys? Is it an endurance issue? Is it, you know, because I, I think that's the thing that we, we kind of overlook because we see the, the peaks of what those types of players can be. Again, the best version of Dils Hoaglander looks fantastic, but there's a consistency element of being able to do that. Is it a location thing? Is it a endurance? Is it, like, what's the thing that stands out? So there's a stat called FIP, yeah. which takes strikeouts, walks, and home runs, and then approximates what a pitcher should be and and says that those are the three things that a pitcher really controls. They don't control their defense behind them, but they can if they can strike a player out, that guy's not putting the ball in play. Walks, that's obviously down to command. And then home runs, the idea is that if you're pitching, you're giving up some bad pitches, those are going to end up being home runs. And there are guys that grade out pretty well on FIP but then the results are not there. And the question is why? Generally, it's a, it's a mix of that, you know, IQ sense of the game. Right. Where, you know, there are guys that don't have the greatest stuff. Mark Burley, for example, went his whole career basically throwing 85. But sure. Incredible baseball sense of just trusting the catcher, pitching to spots. You don't necessarily need to have great velocity. And then the things that don't get captured in there where when those guys get hit, they get hit really hard within the field. So they're not, yes, they're not completely in charge of what's happening defensively, Sure, but they're not making it easy on their defense basically. And that's something that doesn't get captured. Cause so much of what you're saying there feels like it's translatable to what we're talking about with someone with like Nils Hoaglander that look puck on his stick. It's fun and it's exciting. You can see the skills, like the goal against Winnipeg, I think it was in, in, the North Division year, like that one sticks out in my head, just the way he takes it to the puck and the way he takes it to the net and is able to score it. It sticks out in my head. And there are, there are times when you see it too, transitioning through the neutral zone, that you see a confident player with the stick on his puck, or sorry, with the puck on his stick. But it's how do you integrate four other players into the play? And that's the gap that I, I struggle with with Nils Hoaglander. It's his combination to involve other people into the play struggles and his, his the way he gets involved in the play away from the puck to me struggles and you can individually have some skill set 
and he can get around guys, but he's not really pulling away from guys. And so when you're smaller, when you have this very specific skill set that isn't translating in the top six, I, I just look at this and I think it's, it's, it's going to end poorly at some point for Nils Holmlander. Rooting for the guy, of course, but I, I'm still waiting for this next evolution of if, if you're getting put in this position now where it's not a scoring role, and, and yes, you can score in a, obviously a third-line role. But in, in those moments, you're going to be entrusted with some defensive responsibilities. And you've not shown any level of reliability there. When, when the team gets the puck, he can get it out of the zone. He can get it through the neutral zone. But you got to be able to provide accountable defensive performances. And that's the thing that has not occurred. And it's all these other factors outside of things that are in your, uh, in your control. Yep. And the other thing is just... A lot of times, and this is applicable to Niels Hoaglander for sure, and then to these pitchers that I'm talking about, you get figured out. Right. You have skills that allow you to get to that level and have some success early on in your career. But if you don't have variations off of the things that you do well, you're going to be in trouble. So for these pitchers, it's the idea of, hey, yeah, you've got a pretty good breaking ball. You've got a pretty good fastball, but it takes more than that. You need to have multi-dimension in your play. And I think it's it's far too easy to sit here and look at a player like Niels Hoaglander and look at the metrics and say, hey, there's some positives here. I'm not going to debate that he has the skills. I'm yep. not saying that he can't make it work. What I'm saying, what I think is lacking is those dimensions beyond that, especially for a player like him, where at least with Vasily Podkolzin, and it's maybe not the best thing for his development long-term, but from a game-to-game basis, you know that he can he's going he's gonna to compete and that he can throw his weight around. Mm-hmm. With Hoaglander, he's going to compete, and you're hoping that that can cause some chaos in the neutral zone, that he can make some things happen. But you said it. The, the, it's not like he's come in. And for What's the every young factor, player, basically. the defensive yeah. play is, yeah. is always going to be an adjustment. But when you're in a position like him and you're not a goal scorer, Brock Besser early on is – Brock Besser is in this conversation too. Sure. He's not on this list. He's not a prospect anymore. But he's a guy that obviously came out to big success early in his career and, and scored goals. And I know he's had some injuries and he's had – but so those tough goals, luck. That, that rookie season has bought Brock a lot of time. Yes. That, that's the thing. Precisely what I'm going to say. Yeah. He scores. He, we know that he can or has scored goals. That's going to buy you a lot. If you are more... Not, well, I mean, I guess it, I was going to say it's maybe unfair, but Vasily Podkolzin and Niels Hoaglander on the roster fringe because they don't have that goal-scoring ability. And we can sit here and say Brock Besser doesn't have it anymore. To your point, that first season mm-hmm. bought him a lot. But those guys are always going to get... It's why, to use the baseball example again, there are guys, if you throw 100 miles per hour, you're going to get more chances right. than the guy who throws 93. And yeah, he's got a nice breaking ball and he can make th- some things happen. But if you're, not, if you're not winning, if you're not having consistent results... If you're not getting outs. You're not going to yeah. keep getting chances. The guy who throws 100... Nate Pearson right now for the Jays. Oh, we'll make him a reliever. He throws really hard, and he's had his ups and downs and been up and down from the minors and and the big leagues just this year. Those guys are going to get more chances. Brock Besser can score goals. 
I guess we, you know, we're assuming at some point that he's probably not going to be in Vancouver long term, mm-hmm. that he's going to end up somewhere else. Wherever he ends up next, they are still going to be. We know that this guy has scored goals at the NHL right. level. Now, maybe he's a different player. And there are different evaluations that probably have to be made for him because it's been quite a while. But Pud Colson, Hoaglander, and to go back to Ratu, he looks like the type of guy that, when put in a position around the net, can score. His his concern is more about getting there and also delivering the other things that come with playing that position. Uh, we'll touch on all of it with Corey Pronman in about a half hour here on The People Show as uh, the Vancouver Canucks come in 24th on that uh, prospect pipeline ranking. On the other side, though, we'll talk to Donovan Bennett. A streak has ended. Uh, a rather impressive sports streak, I would say. Baltimore Ravens. 24-game preseason streak has come to a close. I'll get into it with DB, who's announcing a new show, which you'll hear on the Sportsnet Radio Network starting on Monday uh, with Matt Marchese, uh, Donovan Bennett. On the way here on The People Show, Sportsnet 650. Here on the People Show, Vic Nazar, Israel Fair, hanging out with you from the Kintech Studio. We'll talk to Donovan Bennett in just a moment. Here, new show on Sportsnet 650 and across the Sportsnet Radio Network. The Fan Checkdown, taking a look at all things NFL throughout the NFL season uh, with Donovan Bennett and Matt Marchese. And Donovan Bennett joins us now. Uh, congratulations on the new show. Excited to hear it uh, starting this Monday. Thank you. Yeah, excited to uh, get after it. This has uh, been long something that like we've been hoping to do, talk a little bit about uh, the other league, the NFL, and how it impacts you know so many Canadians who have teams that they grew up loving based on growing up in a family that supported a team or geographically kind of went down and we're fans of different teams. As you look across the country, there are different fan bases across our beautiful nation. And then obviously, you know, as we've got more Canadian players in the NFL, people have taken a huge liking. And then there's a bunch of Canadians who just love their fantasy team mm-hmm. and their wagers every week. So uh, we're hoping to cater to all of those audiences and just looking forward to getting after it pretty soon. Uh, well, let's start from the top and we'll work our way through some NFL stuff here. Uh, as we get ready for the season, look, the Chiefs have won again. They're the class of the NFL. Um, Patrick Mahomes, we don't need to spend a lot of time saying how great he is. And and there's this expectation. It's like, well, they're going to do it again. But what are some things that you get excited about for this season outside of the Kansas, outside of the Kansas City Chiefs? Ooh, that's a good question. Outside of the Kansas City Chiefs, it's an interesting one because uh, the Kansas City Chiefs get me excited as a lover yeah. of offensive <laughs> football and creativity. I think for me, the thing that excites me is you know there's a couple of things that we know are going to happen. We just don't know where and how. We know that there's going to be a QB that takes a step, takes a leap, and propels a team into a different conversation. 
couple years ago that was Josh Allen, made a leap, and all of a sudden the Bills are just a nice team to a Super Bowl contender. Last year it was Jalen Hurts, and so, you know, in 2019 it's Lamar Jackson comes out of nowhere, and if you had Lamar Jackson, you won fantasy in 2019, and that was it. You know, Patrick Mahomes, we heard about the talk about him in, in practice and how he's pushing Alex Smith. We didn't expect for him to throw for 5,000 yards, 50 touchdowns, and be MVP, you know, in, in uh, his rookie year. So, to me, it's, it's trying to look at situations and say, okay, well, who could that be? Who could that player be? Who could that team be? And thus, how does that change the way that we look at the league as a whole? So I think that's what intrigues me going in. And you can talk yourself into people, right? Is it, is it Tua, who is obviously not a surprise, but, you know, was 8-5 and five as a starter, you know, and the Dolphins were an entirely different team when he was upright and healthy, but – he had, you know, depending on who's counting, two or three concussions a year ago. But at the same time, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle did not catch a touchdown pass unless Tua was throwing to them. Could it be Brock Purdy? Could it be Mr. Irrelevant, who only lost as a Niner QB when he didn't have a ligament in his elbow? But other than that, he was pretty perfect. Could it be Trevor Lawrence? Could the guy who we saw in the second half against the Chargers, who we expected to see when he drafted, uh, was drafted out of Clemson and essentially was just ruined by Urban Meyer for a year, could Trevor Lawrence take the next step and be the elite QB? Or could it be the internet god himself, Justin <laughs> Herbert, who has the look, played the part, but for some reason his coordinator didn't know that he was elite QB and had him playing like he was Mac Jones and not Drew Bledsoe. And so I, I'm fascinated to see who that player is that takes a huge jump and thus it changes the possibility for a franchise and thus the entire league. You mentioned the Bills and, and Josh Allen as being you know in, in that top tier, maybe right there with Kansas City. But at this time last year, I feel like all we heard about was Buffalo and the Bills and their Super Bowl expectations. And this year, it's been a lot more quiet and that division looks a lot more interesting as well with Aaron Rodgers now playing for the Jets. Do you think that the Bills are flying under the radar at this point, or is there justifiable concern that maybe they've missed their window and that they're going to need to show something uh, to put themselves back in that conversation among the, the real elite contenders? I, I don't think they're flying under the radar because they're telling on themselves. The biggest offseason story for the Buffalo Bills was they didn't know where their wide receiver was for a couple of days that he essentially took a sabbatical and they were concerned until they told us they weren't concerned. And he wanted a trade request until he didn't want a trade request. And now Stephen A. Smith is talking about them, which nobody wants. I, I, I'm concerned about the Bills because, well, a couple of things. If Stephon Diggs is not healthy and happy, then who are they? And number two, either way, they're old. They seem like a new upcoming team because – Josh Allen is young, but six out of the ten of their top-paid players are 20 or older. This window for them is shorter and smaller than you think. So I, I think there's going to be real pressure in Buffalo when we look at the elite QBs in the AFC West. Patrick Mahomes has won multiple championships, and now he's competing not even with the other QBs playing right now. He's competing with Tom Brady. 
Joe Burrow has at least got to a Super Bowl and has a winning record against Patrick Mahomes. And then there's Josh Allen, who's had amazing performances and is great in fantasy and has a real nice Madden rating. But essentially, they're going to have to win in the next year or two when his money is relatively manageable because it's just going to get harder to bring in pieces like Von Miller in the future to keep a Stefan Diggs happy in the future when they're playing their quarterback such a big piece of their salary cap. So I think Buffalo is an interesting one for me because if you panel a bunch of people before they lose to Cincinnati, before they were losing to Cincinnati, before DeMar Hamlin gets hurt, who your favorite is? A lot of people thought it was Buffalo, but they didn't end the year with the same sort of momentum. Partially the DeMar Hamlin situation, how could you? Partially Josh Allen is injured and, and wasn't the same player after that. And so I, I think Buffalo is really intriguing for me this year. Who's got more pressure on them in, in the NFC? Uh, now, the Eagles last year, it's, hey, can you confirm Jalen Hurts is kind of the guy? Not only does he do, do that, they go all the way to the Super Bowl, nearly win it. And now you come into this year, look, you actually have to go achieve now the Super Bowl. You wear that star in your helmet. There's always expectations in Dallas. And they got Micah Parsons. They've had this ongoing relationship with Dak and Mike McCarthy. You expect that to come to fruition at some point with a, a prolonged playoff run. And there's the 49ers. You mentioned Brock Purdy. Like, okay, like what do we know about Brock Purdy in general outside of a handful of games uh, near the end of the season against some weekend competition? But he was sparkling through it all. But you look at those three teams. They're regarded as the class of the NFC. But who's got the most pressure on them? I don't think it's Philly because, to your point, a lot of people thought, well, we'll have Jalen Hurts as a placeholder. And then with the pick capital that they have, they're going to go draft a QB. Yeah. Well, now they have their QB, and they've been able to spend that pick capital on defenders who played at Georgia, essentially. Like, they don't even have to research for the draft. Just, okay, he played at Georgia. Great. Welcome to Philadelphia. I, I don't know if I would necessarily say there's a lot of pressure in Dallas because it's all relative. There's a lot of pressure in Dallas all of the time. They sure. yeah. welcome the pressure. And there's pressure without consequence because ultimately, no matter what the fans think, no matter what you and me think, no matter what anyone thinks, the only opinion that matters of that team is Jerry Jones. We know they're going to make money every year. We know they're going to be on primetime football every year. And we know that unless Jimmy Johnson is coaching the team, they're probably not going to win a Super Bowl. So whether or not Mike McCarthy is under pressure or whether Dak Prescott deserves a contract extension, the logic to that doesn't matter because Jerry's going to do what Jerry wants to do, and he's going to hold a press conference in a fur coat and tell you about it. So are they ready to win a Super Bowl? Should they be pressing to win a Super Bowl? For sure. But if they don't, could they just run it back? Probably. I mean, I think that was Jason Garrett's entire experience. San Francisco is interesting because what's been masquerading the fact that they may have made one of the worst draft selections ever, the fact that they're still really, really, really good. And Kyle Shanahan is really, really good at calling offense no matter who the QB is. But they still, when they were championship ready, moved up in the draft for Trey Lance, someone who has had more – more questions about him than I think any QB drafted in the last five years. Tom Brady, 
last year had more snaps at quarterback in his 40s than Trey Lance has had since he's been in high school. Like, they have no idea what Trey Lance is, and they still don't know, and it may not matter because Brock Purdy is their guy and Sam Darnold might be their second guy. For Trey Lance, the, the players that they essentially, you know, whether it's picks or, or what was done with the picks they gave to Miami are Jalen Waddell, Tyree Kill, Bradley Chubb. Like, we're talking about game-changing players. Imagine if you sprinkled any of that talent on the Niners. It would be a wrap. So I think they've got the highest-paid running back in the league. They traded for him. They traded capital for a QB that theoretically won't play and may not ever play. I think if that group between Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch don't get this right, there aren't many more cards to play in San Francisco. They've been close for a while. And other than his outstanding play calling and the fact that you can't trust any of his running backs in fantasy, the thing that we know about Kyle Shanahan is he had a Super Bowl within striking distance and refused to run the ball. So he needs to get back to a Super Bowl and win one as a head coach in some way to redeem himself. So I think the Niners are the group that's under the most pressure. A major storyline this offseason has been running backs and specifically their contracts and them not getting the contracts that they're looking for. Uh, yesterday, reports around the NFL that Jonathan Taylor uh, has been granted the ability to explore a trade. Uh, we know that when he was healthy for the coat for the Colts, he was about uh, as good of a running back as, as you could as you could want. Uh, now that he's on the market here and that, that the possibility of a trade, where where do you want to see him? Where do you think is the best fit for a guy uh, like Jonathan Taylor? I mean, where I want to see him is in the bank manager's office talking about investments offshore. <laughs> like, I want him to get paid. And so wherever that happens to be, I, I'd love to see it. I want when he walks into the bank for them to call him Mr. because he makes so much money. I, I just don't know if that's sadly going to happen because, as you rightly mentioned, the trend for running backs is going down. Their franchise tag number is going down and the cap is going up. Highest paid running backs in the league, Derrick Henry, uh, 16.4. Nick Chubb, 14.8. Saquon Barkley, uh, 11 million. Tony Pollard, 10.1. Josh Jacobs, 10.1. Christian McCaffrey is is at that 16 number when his new money comes in. None of those guys have won a Super Bowl or even sniffed one. Last nine Super Bowl running backs, Isaiah Pacheco, Cam Akers, Leonard Fournette, Damian Williams, Sony Michelle, who's out of the league, LeGarrette Blunt twice, C.J. Anderson, LeGarrette Blunt again. We have seen that you don't need a top-level running back to win a Super Bowl. And as a former running back, this pains me to say, I'm going to be thrown out of the fraternity for saying <laughs> this on a live microphone, but now you're asking not only to be paid, but to get draft capital uh, and, and give up draft capital or players in exchange. I don't know that there's a massive market. So if anyone wants to spend what is, based off the market, bad money at the running back position for him, God bless you, Jonathan. Take it and run to the bank, not to the end zone. But I don't see a huge market for him. I just want to see him anywhere other than Indy. Because Jim Irsay, even though everything I just said is true, did not handle this situation 
with grace is one of the type of people who I loathe who woke up on third base and thought he hit a triple. And, and so I want Jonathan Taylor out of Indy and any other destination would be great. I mean, the ultimate one would be Miami. But I, I, I think, you know, after flirting with Dalvin Cook and that not happening, I, I doubt that they're going to spend even more money on, on Jonathan Taylor. But, you know, Mike McCarthy with the great runner uh, like Jonathan Taylor would be exciting to see and make the AFC East even more intriguing. But I, I, I don't know if it happens unless we see an injury around the league. I think we might be waiting for a little bit. Uh, they've been the focus of so much uh, over the course of the offseason. They're on Hard Knocks, the New York Jets, uh, the premier hype team. Is this going to be a uh, a glow-up for the Jets, or is it going to be a blow-up? I don't know if it's going to be a blow-up, but it sure as hell is not going to be a glow-up, that's for sure. <laughs> I, I, we talked about you know teams that make it to the Super Bowl. Teams who make it in football, period. Name your level. CFL. The the Bombers and the Argos a year ago, college football, whether it's Alabama or Georgia, NFL, the two teams in the Super Bowl last year, the Chiefs and the Eagles. What is the common denominator that one of their best, if not best position groups is offensive line? That is the Jets' by far worst position group. They're not healthy at the position. They haven't really adequately addressed it in free agency. One of the storylines on Hard Knocks is how bad it has been and how upsetting it has been for Robert Sala. Oh, and you're adding a aging quarterback who needs a clean pocket, who actually had pretty good protection throughout his career in Green Bay. That is not a great recipe for success. And so I worry about Aaron Rodgers making it through the season, number one, Add on to that the fact that a year ago, Aaron Rodgers played four games on turf. One of the benefits of playing in, at Lambeau, but also in the NFC North, is you know, he's got a lot of games on his schedule on grass. He's played 14 on turf this year. So that's a lot of hits into field turf that aren't going to feel so good getting up in the cold in, in New York. So I, I'm not bullish at all on the Jets just because you have all the skilled receivers – uh, and, and, and talented running backs that you want. If no one's blocking for them, that skill and that talent is somewhat useless. So I, I think we need to pump the brakes on our expectations on the Jets, and especially because of the way their season starts. They have a murderer's row to start the season. Their first six games are all against teams who expect to be in the playoffs this year. If they struggle at the gate, they might not make the playoffs this year and so I, I would not be so excited if I'm a fan of the J-E-T-S Jets Jets Jets. Uh, you've read them at sportsnet.ca you've seen them on TV you've heard them on uh, the Sportsnet radio network again you'll see hear them again uh, starting Monday 11 o'clock here in Vancouver for the fan check down it's Donovan Bennett with Matt Marchese coming to your airwaves on Monday DB appreciate it and uh, best of luck with the show we'll connect soon. Thank you anytime. It's Donovan Bennett. Thanks, Donovan. Uh, make sure you're also following him on Twitter as well uh, for Donovan Bennett, at Donovan Bedden with two N's in Donovan. Uh, all right, I actually want to play this game with you because I, I just thought of it on the spot. Glow up or blow up? Hype teams that we're talking about. The Jets, I'm going blow up. 
Couldn't agree more. Because like there's just, there's just so much pressure in this situation. They're not winning twelve and, games. Ugh, we don't need to get what Dom said. Uh, but I th- feel like it's more likely to blow up than glow up. I guess that's what we're saying. Is it more likely to blow up or glow up here? Detroit Lions. I'm biting kneecaps, Bick. You're in? I'm all in. Oh, man. This is just like these historic bad franchises. I just feel like we sometimes just like want them to be better than we think. I I still... I'm going to go blow up. It just... We don't know enough about the coach of saying like, hey, this guy's bona fide top 10 level coach. Okay. Okay. I, I don't think that's even remotely been confirmed. In a league that exists with... Bill Belichick, Sean McVay, Andy Reid, Andy Reid, Sean Payton, Carroll, Mike Tomlin, Harbaugh, John Harbaugh, all these guys. I don't think it's anywhere near been confirmed that like Dan Campbell is in that class of like deserves to be talked about as a top ten coach in this. Going to do it this year? That, that, that just I has, believe just has not happened. Okay, then you throw in it's Jared Goff, who they did a good job. Mm-hmm. With Jared Goff, but again, in a league with Herbert, Lawrence, and we're like, hey, these guys might not even be top seven. Mahomes, Burrow, Allen, all this. Just not there. I, I just feel there's blow-up potential. Jaguars. I know where you're going. Blow-up? No. I, that's where I, I, that's where I, I'm at. I thought we'd be at odds here. I, I'm in glow-up for the Jaguars. Yeah, you had them, you had them yesterday – uh, their yeah QB receiver and tight end combos as the I, I just fifth like, best in the league. I expected you. You expect that they're going to be good. I, I'm just at least with the Lions, the Vikings can always surprise and be good. the The Packers are a historical franchise; mm-hmm. they can figure it out. There's there's landmines in the division. I just don't know if en- enough exists for the Jaguars, where they might blow up. They still might get nine wins and win the division. That's the issue. Whereas if if one thing goes wrong for the Lions and they get eight wins, there's a team in that division that can get ten. You're sure? I feel better about the Packers getting to ten wins than the Titans. Jordan Love. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Dolphins. You don't get team. to have the large coffees that Dan Campbell and I are going to have at the end of the season <laughs> with nineteen Five espresso espressos, shots. Yeah. yeah. You and Dan Riccio just just <laughs> crushing espressos with Dan Campbell. Uh, Dolphins. Blow up. Ooh. I yeah, there's potential just just because like any of these AFC teams that are not in the AFC South, there's potential. Like I'll throw the charge in in here. It's more likely to blow up than glow up. Yeah, but my heart wants them to glow. Yeah, hundred percent. What did Donovan call him? The Internet God. Yeah, he is. And look, and I'm part because of- I made Joe Burrow uh, on a show earlier this month. Uh, the Riz King of the NFL. Sure. He is. I, I like. He's Joe Cool, man. I like uh, Herbert. I like Justin Herbert as the internet god. Yeah, the, the, there's not a lot of d- debate about like how good Justin Herbert can be, but you kind of need to see it a f- play at its highest level and win playoff games. You, you can't be the guy that loses a 27 point lead in the playoffs. Uh, Browns, the Browns. The way that you describe the Lions is yeah. how I describe the Browns. I'm kind of with you. I'm kind of with you. Uh, two NFC teams, the New York Giants. God, man, they're based on last year. I think it's 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 a soft blow up. I just think they're going to be right down the middle. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's going to be a disaster. But because you have two teams in that division that you expect to have double digit wins, it's just really hard. Like, I think they'll be fine. 
I think there's a chance to make the playoffs, but as like the last the wild, wild card. Seed. Yeah. Yeah. And then finally, look, they had the first overall pick, Carolina Panthers. Blow up or glow up? This is kind of the Jaguar situation where the division is so bad. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm not even sure if the division winner is going to have nine wins. Yeah. I, I I guess if I have to pick on Carolina, I'll, I'll I'll go negative side. But I don't like what's a blow up from being terrible. Yeah. The real the, the team there I think is New Orleans. Yep. Well, we'll touch on them in a bit. Power rankings that's coming a, on later in the show. That's a real interesting team. Do the do the New Orleans Saints make the top ten power rankings on day one? Maybe, maybe not. We'll get to the power rankings later on in the show. I do like this one text, the uh, different football. Man United against Spurs was oh, a blow up. Let's not even get into that. <laughs> oh. Chris from Coquitlam throwing daggers in the inbox. <laughs> you can come in with your suggestions, 650-650. On the other side, we'll talk to Corey Pronman, who today put the Vancouver Canucks 24th in his prospect pipeline rankings. You got questions for Corey about uh, some of their prospects? Send them into the inbox. We'll get into it with him from The Athletic coming up here on Sportsnet 650.